Healthy Girl Kitchen. I am obsessed with Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's a vegan food blogger and health coach. I want to be her best friend. Invigorating conversations with leading experts. Danielle spends her days helping others improve their health. This is the Healthy Girl Podcast with your host, Danielle Keith. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another amazing episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. I hope you're all doing well this week. I just want to get right into the cooking tip and the health tip of the day because today's episode is just too good. I really want to get right into it. So for the cooking tip, if you haven't made summer rolls yet, they're going to be your new favorite dish to make when you want something light and delicious, but like also filling at the same time. I have a new summer rolls recipe that you're going to love. If you haven't already tried them, I urge you to. You basically just need spring roll wrappers, which I got a lot of questions about where you can find them. You can get them at any grocery store, but you have to go to the Asian section. So they usually have like a designated Asian section with like sushi seaweeds, sesame seeds, different ingredients for like a ramen bowl. You will find the rice paper wrappers in that section. And then you need any veggies you like. I like using like avocado, cucumber, peppers, cilantro, spinach, that kind of good stuff. And then any fruit you want. Like I love adding mango to my summer rolls. Um, That's not in the recipe, but that is something I like to add in there if I have a ripe mango on hand. And tofu if you want a little extra protein. And then you just roll them on up and you dip them in this peanut sauce that's also in the recipe. It's addicting. It's so good. It's just a fun and different recipe to include in your diet. I feel like we get in a cycle of eating the same thing. So if you need to spice it up a little, try my new Healthy Girl Kitchen summer roll recipe. And it's that's just on my blog if you want the full recipe, healthygirlkitchen.com. If you know, you know. Next, the health tip. I want to talk about ingredient labels. I feel like normally for the health tip of the day, I'm always talking about food you should be adding in, you know, drinking more water, taking 10,000 steps, that kind of thing. But I want to talk about reading ingredient labels. Ingredient labels are so important when trying to eat healthy, be more mindful of what you're putting into your body. If something has like 20 ingredients, it's probably not healthy for you, right? Um, The front of the package is basically all marketing. Companies can pretty much say whatever they want on the front of the package. So if you're looking at, let's say, a box of crackers, the front of the box might say low fat or reduced sugar or fat free or whatever it may be they're pretty much allowed to say whatever they want on the front of the package. So instead of reading everything on the front of the package, flip the package over whatever you're holding and go straight for the ingredient label. And yes, the nutrition label is important, but the truth really lies in the ingredients. So a couple tips from me, this is just a habit. Now, whenever I go to the grocery store, if I'm buying something new, I always, second I look at it, I flip the package around and I read the ingredients. So a couple tips. One, look for minimal ingredient lists. Again, if something has 20 ingredients and it's like a paragraph and the font's really small and you can't really read everything in there, like it's probably not good for you. Um, I think when you're making something in your kitchen, you most likely aren't going to put 20 ingredients into your dinner. Um, look for ingredients that you can pronounce. If it's something that's like hydrogenase, methyl cellulose, again, that's probably a chemical, an additive that probably shouldn't be in your body. And something like that, you would not have a jar of methyl cellulose, hydrogenase, whatever it is sitting in your pantry. You wouldn't use it at home. So why would you eat it in a packaged product from the grocery store? You know? 
Also, make sure that what you're buying doesn't have chemicals, obvious additives, a ton of added sugar. And now a lot of packages are saying, they're not just saying the grams of sugar in something, they are specifying the added sugar, which is what you should pay attention to. So for example, if the product you're buying has dates in it, that's not added sugar because dates have natural sugars because it's a fruit. Added sugar would be adding, you know, cane sugar or, you know, like a maple syrup or like other granulated white sugar. It wouldn't be the dates that was adding in the sugar. So if you're buying a product that's just like dates and unsweetened coconut, for example, it should say zero grams of added sugar. That's what you want. Also make sure that the products you're buying don't have hydrogenated oils. So when you're looking at that ingredient label, if it says hydrogenated in front of an oil, that is not good because hydrogenated oils contain trans contain trans fats, which clog your arteries. Hydrogenated oils are most commonly found in like generic peanut butter brands. So make sure that you get a natural peanut butter. And that's just one example. That was like the first thing that I noticed, you know, I don't remember exactly what brand it was. Maybe it was like Jif or like the Peter Pan or something like that, that actually had hydrogenated oils in it, which are some of the worst oils that you can put into your body. Um, So definitely be on the lookout for that. Let me tell you about our guest of the day. His name is Robbie Barbero. We had an incredible, informative conversation that I think is so important for everyone to hear and learn about, regardless if you have diabetes or not. So even if you don't have diabetes, but you're interested in health and wellness, interested in the conversation about carbs versus a low carb diet, the keto diet, you will be very into this podcast. He is the co-founder of Mastering Diabetes and Amla Green. He is the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Mastering Diabetes, the revolutionary method to reverse insulin resistance permanently in type 1, type 1.5, type 2 prediabetes and gestational diabetes. He is a diabetes coach, educator, and international speaker who has been living with type 1 diabetes for more than 20 years. Since 2006, Robbie has used an evidence-based approach to his personal health and fitness built on a foundation of a low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet. Using the Mastering Diabetes Method, he has seen his insulin sensitivity improve by 600% and his overall health improve dramatically. His personal experience sparked a passionate interest in learning as much as possible about nutrition-driven wellness, a quest that led Robbie to devote six years to building the revolutionary Forks Over Knives empire, along with the founder and president. In 2016, Robbie turned his full-time attention to Mastering Diabetes, which offers a revolutionary online coaching program that's helping thousands reverse insulin resistance, gain energy, and significantly reduce chronic disease risk. He is the co-host of the annual Mastering Diabetes Online Summit. He's a featured speaker at Whole Foods Global Headquarters, VegFest LA, PlantStock. Um, you know, he's been featured on, you know, every kind of social media news outlet. He is everywhere. And he's also a graduate of University of Florida. He has a master's degree in public health from American Public University, and he's widely recognized for his colorful fruit-inspired Instagram photos and recipes that Robbie documents on his Instagram every single day. So 
with that, let's welcome Robbie to the podcast. Hi, Robbie. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Danielle, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. So exciting. I am pumped to have you here. We just talked a little bit, but we are about to be neighbors, actually. That's exactly right. I am moving from Santa Monica to uh, Miami, and I just couldn't be more excited about it. And I wish everyone could see your background right now because, you guys, I'm going to explain this. He's sitting with a background of shelves with mangoes and bananas, and I see like a couple oranges. So you are just surrounded by fruit, um, which I love. But I'm so excited to get into things have you talk about what you know best. And um, I, you know, gave everyone a little bit of an intro about you, but I want to jump right in and just ask what age were you when you were diagnosed with type one diabetes? So I was 12 years old, just about to turn 13. I'll never forget the day. It was January 26th of 2000. And I remember being in the hospital that night and watching the Australian open and my tennis tournament. Um, and my parents flying back from Florida, they actually were in Florida at the time looking at homes. Um, and we were living in Minnesota and my dad just telling me, don't worry, it's just an inconvenience. You can still live a full life and have all your dreams come true. So what happened? Like what landed you in the hospital? So I kind of self-diagnosed myself. I was thirsty all the time. I was going to the bathroom all the time. And those are classic symptoms of type one diabetes. I had been losing weight. I told my mom, I said, I think I have diabetes just like Steve. So my older brother was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes nine years prior to me. And of course, I was there to watch all that unfold. And I remember we were, you know, for him, we were driving to a hockey tournament and things were just not going well. <laughs> but I was like, mom, I'm having the same symptoms. She said, no, no, don't be silly. You don't have diabetes. I said, okay. And that was when she was out of town. And she called and, and she checked in and she said, okay, how'd you sleep last night? I said, mom, I, I couldn't sleep. I was cramping. She said, okay, go upstairs, use your brother's blood glucose meter and test yourself. And sure enough, I tested my blood glucose. I was well over 400. You should not be above 140 after a meal. And this was plenty of time after my breakfast meal. So my brother said right there and there, yep, you have type 1 diabetes. Pack your bag. You're going to be in the hospital for a few nights. So we went to the general doctor first. They ran some blood work, and then they sent me to the hospital to get on an insulin drip. And that was the beginning of, of life with type 1 diabetes. And my, my parents wanted to make sure we had the best medical care possible. So living in Minnesota, they would take us to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And there I had an endocrinologist. I had a nutritionist. I had a psychologist. And nobody ever said anything about living a lifestyle to maximize my insulin sensitivity or change my lifestyle to improve my long-term chronic disease risk. So I just went on my merry way and started following the standard American diet. And I continued following the standard American diet and continued having standard American diet symptoms. So I was struggling with low energy for sure. I had chronic allergies. Okay, so I took Nasenac, I took Claritin D, year-round, still got sick. Then I um, also had acne as a teenager. So that was really, really frustrating. And I tried everything, microdermal abrasion treatments, laser treatments, all kinds of pills and creams. Eventually, they put me on Accutane, which is one of the most serious drugs you can take for acne. My parents had to sign a waiver because some people had committed suicide on that drug. So that was frustrating. I had 
plantar fasciitis. Um, so that's a painful condition in your feet. And I wore these big blue boots at night for passive stretching, had warts on my feet, just typical health problems. And that was, that was just sort of like the beginning. I don't know if you want me to like tell the whole story or if you have more questions, but that, that's how this whole thing happened. Well, I guess my next question is, when did you discover the connection between diet and diabetes? Like, can you paint a picture of that journey? So that was my dad selling supplements. And so he was with a company, I forget which company it was, but their sales pitch was basically the soil's been depleted. Therefore, it doesn't matter how well you eat, you should go and take supplements. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I guess that could make sense. And over the years, it was just one more sales pitch or a piece of information that just kept on urging me to make better and better decisions and become educated about lifestyle change and food and nutrition. But it really did start out with my, my dad selling supplements and that just led you know, one thing to another. And how did you discover plant-based eating? Okay, so plant-based eating. That happened because I was on a nutrition, it wasn't even a nutrition forum. It was a, a lifestyle forum. I'm a, call, a student at the University of Florida. This is 2006. And I'm on this forum called G Living. It was a website where people would share about, you know, high-end bamboo tables and, you know, container homes that are very sustainable. It's a very fun website. And back then, like, blogging was brand new. You know, podcasting was brand new. And I felt really cool and hip that I'm even, like, on this forum learning this stuff. And there was a section where they had a food area. And these people were doing a high-fat gourmet raw food diet. They're using fancy dehydrators and all this fancy equipment to make these fancy raw food meals. And I went on the forum and I said, you know what, guys? You're missing out on really important nutrients. You should be – because I was into the Weston A. Price Foundation at this time. And I was saying you need to have grass-fed beef. You need to have raw milk. You guys are missing important nutrients here. And somebody on the forum said, you know, you should check out this movie Earthlings. So Earthlings is a animal rights movie made by Sean Monson many, many years ago. And they cover how animals are treated for food, for entertainment, for clothing, um, for pets. And there might be one other category. But I went and watched this movie and I could not believe what I saw. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How am I a freshman at this really good school? Like I worked really hard to get into the University of Florida. And... I didn't know this. How has this information been hidden from me? I didn't know that this is how animals were treated for this food to get to my plate. This was completely out of my consciousness. And I said to myself, okay, these guys know something that I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to listen and learn. Because for me, it has always been about nutrition. It's always been about, um, for, you know, for me, trying to reverse type 1 diabetes. That's like my major goal in life, you know, lifelong mission. I want to somehow get these beta cells to work again. I haven't solved that problem yet, but it's not going to stop me from working on it. But I've always come at it from the nutrition perspective. So they said, okay, go. I went back to the forum. I said, okay, what nutrition resources do you have for me? And that's what led me initially into the plant-based world, uh, starting out with a raw food slant. So I heard about this guy, Gabriel Cousins, and he came out with a movie called Raw for 30 Days. And that's where people came to his institute and they improved their diabetes health in a short period of time. 
And it just, that was the beginning of me opening up my mind. And at that time I was doing a plant-based ketogenic diet. So his program basically says in phase one, no fruit. Uh, you have to be careful with the amount of non-starchy vegetables. If you have too many bell peppers, you're going to exceed your carbohydrate load for the day. No more than 30 grams of net carbohydrate. And so that was the beginning for me. That's where it all started. Okay. So I feel like that brings up an important conversation though about keto and low carb and oftentimes, and most of the time, that's what doctors are recommending for people with diabetes. So this truly is the elephant in the room. I mean, this is the conversation about diabetes in general. And this is what, you know, we work with every day at Mastering Diabetes is educating people on why they should not just not fear carbohydrates, but actually embrace whole food carbohydrates as the solution to blood glucose control, insulin resistance, weight gain, low energy, a laundry list of conditions that are impacted by insulin resistance. So the reason why diabetes is particularly confusing is because it is the only condition, one of the only conditions, you can self-monitor on a meal-by-meal basis. If you have heart disease, you don't know if your heart disease got better or worse after eating one meal. If you have chronic kidney disease, you're not sure, did your kidney health get better or worse after one meal? With diabetes, you eat a meal, you can prick yourself, you can test on the meter and say, oh, wow, I just ate a couple of bananas. I just ate some blueberries. I just ate some quinoa. And my blood glucose went to 300, went to 250. This is the problem. How, how could anybody tell, tell us anything different? I just proved it to you. And what people are, and then the same thing, they go on a ketogenic diet, okay? And they stop eating carbohydrates and they test their blood glucose. Okay, wow, I didn't eat any carbohydrates. My blood glucose is staying low. My, my medication needs are low or dropping. My A1C is coming down. I'm losing weight. Like, this is working. This is the solution. And the big picture that people are missing when it comes to this entire conversation is which foods lead to insulin resistance and therefore put you in a state where you cannot metabolize carbohydrates efficiently. So we have to take a step back. We have to really understand what is insulin? What's its function? So its primary function is to take glucose out of your bloodstream into your cells. So insulin, it opens the door and allows glucose in. When you consume excess dietary fat, particularly trans fat and saturated fat, those fats get stored in your muscle and liver cells. And that accumulation prevents insulin from working properly. And this is insulin resistance. So the people who ate the banana, they had the bowl of quinoa and saw their blood glucose skyrocket. It's not the banana's fault. It's not the quinoa's fault. It's the foods they ate prior that set themselves up for a state of insulin resistance. And as soon as that's changed, now you can metabolize the carbohydrates easily. So let's say there's someone out there with diabetes. They're doing the typical uh, protocol that a doctor gave them of lowering their carbs and you know maybe their keto. How would they start to then introduce the whole healthy carbs? Okay, great question. And the transition is very important and it can get confusing for people. We are really passionate about guiding people towards making slow, steady, consistent lifestyle changes. So in our book, we have people changing one meal at a time. That's how the Mastering Diabetes Method works. 
You just change your breakfast. And this also allows your gut microbiome some time to adjust and begin handling larger quantities of fiber, which is going to happen when you eat more whole foods. And so in that case, when you eat whole foods, okay, so that's the key tenet of the Mastering Diabetes Method when it comes to nutrition, is that we are not talking about refined foods. The fiber is included. The vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytochemicals, and water content. It's going to create this package. And that package is what prevents blood glucose spikes, okay? No matter, even if you're super, super insulin resistant and you're just starting out, if you start eating you know, the breakfast meals that we're recommending, mainly whole fruit, if you're super, super insulin resistant, you might be able to start better with some beans, some quinoa, some of those foods are just a little bit slower at digesting and can prevent blood glucose spikes a little bit better. But nonetheless, it's not doesn't need to be micromanaged, all right? What we want people to understand is in the short term, you may see some blood glucose elevations. You may see some higher readings than you're used to, higher readings than you want to see. And that's okay because that is simply a symptom. High blood glucose is not the disease. It's insulin resistance. And in a very short period of time, you will see those numbers come down. And it's the transition process that is addressing the actual problem. And that is going to set you up for long-term success. So it's really about doing it slowly. We also encourage people to eat slower. I mean, just sitting down, just taking some time to really chew your food. Instead of eating in five minutes, eating in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, that's going to prevent some of those blood glucose spikes you might see in the beginning. Adding in foods like greens or non-starchy vegetables to any carbohydrate-rich meal that you're consuming is also going to help you blunt the blood glucose spike especially while you're in state of insulin resistance. So like, what's an example of that? Okay, so I'm going to pull up the book and I'm going to give you a couple recipes in here. This will be fun. Okay. So uh, let me give you a good breakfast recipe. We have in here, um, so we have cauliflower breakfast scramble. Okay, it has one red onion, one red bell pepper, one green bell pepper, two cups of sliced mushrooms, one head of cauliflower, you have canned beans in here. There's black pepper, turmeric, cayenne pepper, cloves. Uh, we have some green onions and some flax seeds. So that's a classic breakfast meal that has a lot. You have the bell peppers, you have cauliflower, you have mushrooms, in addition to some black beans. That's a good transition recipe. There's Mexican bean breakfast skillet. This one's got yellow onion, garlic, cumin, lemon, um, more black beans, black pepper, some tomatoes. Perfect. We also have a tropical fruit salad. So this one's got diced papaya, mango, chickpeas, lettuce. Then there's more um, seeds and, and some spices and whatnot. But it's really simple, simple combinations, but always adding in those greens, those non-starchy vegetables in addition to the carbohydrate-rich foods. Okay. That makes sense because I have been looking at all of your Instagram stories and looking at your beautiful meals that you post. And I'm seeing like what looks like a salad, but then you have a ton of fruit in it and it looks delicious and amazing and like so colorful and yummy. Um, but that totally explains why I've been like, wow, he really loves like mango with his kale. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I certainly do uh, love greens and um, you know, one thing, you know, Dr. Esselstyn likes to recommend, he's telling people to have greens five times a day, um, getting in those foods. And, and part of the, the work that 
we are doing at Mastering Diabetes is we are working with people who have a chronic disease. They are, they are you know, quite sick, okay? They've, they've beaten themselves into a hole. Um, and so our stuff is it's particularly you know, clean, you might want to say, or particularly emphasizing non-starchy vegetables and starchy vegetables in addition to the, the carbohydrate-rich foods all in, a, in an effort to really, really optimize the, the outcome here for people who are living with a serious condition, insulin resistant. Got it. And I also wanted to clear something up. So obviously you're recommending whole complex carbs and I know what that means, but can you explain like to someone who doesn't know the difference between, you know, a simple carb, a complex carb, like you're not recommending for people to go eat a loaf of white bread. That's exactly right. So we have a traffic light system of helping people understand which foods to eat. So I'm going to run through that quickly, and then I'm going to go specifically into the carbohydrates. So the green light foods are fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes. Um, then you have intact whole grains. Okay, those, and those four are listed in a specific order in, for a reason. And those are because those foods provide calories. They provide energy. And one of the biggest mistakes people make when they transition to a low-fat plant-based whole food diet is they focus on salads and it does not satisfy them. You just start eating a bunch of salads, a bunch of greens, and a little bit of carbohydrate-rich food on top. All of a sudden, you're hungry an hour or two later and you, you go eat a cheeseburger and you feel good again because you finally got the energy. You finally got the calories. So, and again, we have to emphasize that for people living with diabetes because they have been trained to fear carbohydrate-rich foods. They have been trained to believe that a potato or a mango or a banana is one of the worst things they could do for their blood glucose control. It's actually not the case when consumed in a low-fat environment. So we emphasize those categories. Then we have the non-starchy vegetables. That's going to be like bell peppers, um, cauliflower, broccoli, turnips. Then you have the greens. That's going to be arugula, Swiss chard, um, beet greens, all that good stuff, lettuces, cabbage. Then you have the herbs and spices and the mushrooms. And everything in the green light category, we are encouraging people to eat in abundance. You do not have to count your calories. You don't have to portion control. Those foods are very, very challenging to overeat because they have so much water and so much fiber in their unprocessed form. Then the yellow light category. This includes foods that are a little bit higher in their fat content or are a little bit more processed. So the higher fat plant foods include avocado, nuts and seeds, olives, durian fruit, coconut meat, and soy products. So these are all foods that are very healthy. They are nutrient dense. We are encouraging people to include them in their diet. It's just that they are a little bit higher in fat. And when you're living with insulin resistance, we still need to be cognizant of your total fat intake, even if it's coming from avocados, even if it's coming from olives and soy products. Those are great foods, but too much is a problem when you're living with insulin resistance. Then we get into the little bit more processed foods. So Ezekiel bread, brown rice pasta. Again, these are great foods, absolutely a great part of a healthy whole food plant-based diet. It's just that they're a little bit more processed and they are going to have a little bit more of an impact on your blood glucose control 
when you're transitioning and trying to really optimize your insulin sensitivity. So it's better to have brown rice than brown rice pasta. It's just, it's just a little bit less processed. It's a little more nutrient dense. It's better to have uh, millet than millet bread. So whatever the bread is made out of, we're just going to ask you, especially in the beginning, let's focus on that intact, whole grain, unrefined as possible. That's going to help you with the calorie density. It's going to help you with your blood glucose control. And it's going to get you results much faster. And again, as long as you're given good recipes, these stuff, these things are delicious, delicious food. You, people just need to learn how to prepare them. So you're exactly right. We, we're encouraging people to eat the, the complex carbohydrates. And we would include fruit in that category, okay? So when you think of you know, simple sugars, that stuff, that's going to come from when you're having high fructose corn syrup, when you're having processed sugar, these added sugars. That's the stuff we're going to really encourage you to limit as much as possible and focus on the whole foods. And then the red light category, that's just foods that we encourage people to severely limit or just avoid um, totally. And that's going to be animal products. That's going to be a lot of the highly processed, you know, what people call vegan junk foods. And again, we, we acknowledge those are great for the environment. They're great options. They can be great transition foods. But when you're trying to reverse insulin resistance, when you're trying to reverse prediabetes, reverse type 2 diabetes, when you're trying to prevent long-term complications of type 1.5 and type 1 diabetes, those foods are not going to serve you very well. It's better to just have whole natural foods. That makes a lot of sense. So, okay, two things. One, what is the definition of type 1.5 diabetes? Because you don't care. I I mean, I personally haven't heard that until today. So (laughs) I'm assuming that other people haven't either. Uh, I'm glad we're getting to talk about this because... Researchers believe that approximately 10% of people living with diabetes are actually living with type 1.5 diabetes, and they've just been misdiagnosed. And what it is is, so it's far more prominent than people are aware, and there's a lot of people who are getting misdiagnosed as type 2 when really they're type 1.5, and they are not getting the appropriate medications. So type 1.5 is a slow-onset version of type 1. So type 1 is classified as an autoimmune disease. We don't know what causes it, but we do know what happens is the beta cells in your pancreas have been damaged. You don't produce a sufficient quantity of insulin. If you're living with type 1, you have to inject insulin to survive. Period. End of story. What's happening with type 1.5 is that damage to the beta cells, the destruction of your beta cells is happening very slowly. And so some people can kind of get away with not needing medication, not needing insulin, if they change their lifestyle, sometimes if they avoid carbohydrates, their insulin production is low and they're kind of on this edge. They're kind of, they're kind of okay, they're kind of not okay depending on what they eat and it becomes very confusing. And then you have a lot of people saying, oh, I really, really don't want to go on insulin. I really want to avoid insulin. And unfortunately, um, I wish I had better news, but that's just not the best way to manage the condition. So when somebody has type 1, you don't even ask yourself that question. You don't even, you don't even contemplate. You can't be like, oh, I'm just not going to use insulin. Well, that's like saying I'm just not going to survive. So um, type 1.5, it's also known as LADA, latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. And the objective characteristics as far as the official criteria is, you know, you're older than 30 years old. So 30 years old or higher. Um, you have one or more of the diabetes antibodies. So there are five specific diabetes antibodies that can, you can get tested for. If you have one or more of those, um, you could be living with type 1.5 diabetes. 
um, you also have a low C-peptide. So a C-peptide test is an indicator of how much, or helps indicate how much insulin your pancreas is secreting. So when your pancreas, when your body creates insulin, it creates insulin and C-peptide in a one-to-one ratio. And then they split off. And C-peptide floats around and has a longer half-life than insulin. So it's very easy to measure your C-peptide level. And that tells us okay, how much insulin is somebody producing. So type 1.5, you know, the t- honestly, there might be somebody listening to this who's like, wait a minute, maybe I've been misdiagnosed. And what, what the kind of easy indicator is you've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, but you're underweight. You're not overweight. That's a huge, huge red flag. Okay. Number two is then, well, if that's true, you definitely go get a C-peptide test. And the C-peptide test is affordable and easy. To, you can go to a website called requestatest.com and you can order it yourself, even if your doctor is not helpful in this situation. And it costs roughly $50. And then you just print it out or you put it up, pull it up on your phone. You go to LabCorp, you go to Quest, and you can get your C-peptide tested. If your C-peptide is low, that is then the next indicator that it is a smart idea to go get your antibodies tested and let's figure out what's going on. And then you can work with a, a qualified medical doctor to make the appropriate decision of what to do next. Okay. Wow. That's really helpful information. I'm sure, you know, you never know who's listening to this. Um, I want to circle back for a second to your story because we never really finished that up. So you start eating plant-based. How long did it take for you to notice the difference, the benefits? What was going on there? Okay, so I start eating this plant-based ketogenic diet. This is September of 2006. And the problem with that was, again, we did skip a lot, so I'm just going to throw us a little tidbits here. Um, I really started digging very deep into lifestyle change because I was exposed to this book. Okay, this book is called Kevin Trudeau's Natural Cures They Don't Want You to Know About. Okay, I'm not recommending this book. This guy went to jail. Like, there's some <laughs> problems here, okay? Um, he had infomercials all over the place. He sold millions of copies. This guy was very influential. But the book planted a seed in my mind that maybe it would be possible to reverse type 1 diabetes if I lived a really healthy lifestyle. If I gave my body a chance to heal itself, maybe this is possible. And the mindset's like, hey, the smartest people in the world told Roger Bannister he could not run a four-minute mile. They said, that's not possible. Your heart's going to explode. You can't do it. And Roger Bannister went out there and he did it. And now people run a four-minute mile. It's not that big of a deal anymore. So if you look at history, anything is possible. We, we, we can figure this out. I still believe it's going to happen. I'm, I'm confident. Um, but again, that's what sent me on this mission, to literally do anything and everything that I believe would give my body the best chance of healing itself. That's the place I, I come from. I still come from that place. And that's kind of where this dedication to the lifestyle I live and, and you know, how clean my diet is, whatever you want to call it, it really, it really comes from that place. So I'm doing this plant-based ketogenic diet. Just doing, again, doing everything I'm told. And I was reducing my insulin needs. So my, my requirement for insulin was dropping and dropping and dropping. And I was getting very excited. And at the time, I was telling myself, wow, this is working. Like, I am on my way to taking zero insulin. Like, this is the dream. This is what I, this is what I want. And in hindsight, 
what I didn't understand is that it's only a good news that your insulin use is going down if you know that you are simultaneously producing more of your own insulin. That would be good. That's the dream. Now we're on to something. But that's not what was happening. I was simply avoiding carbohydrate-rich foods. Therefore, my total insulin requirement is going down. That's not good. So, and if this is a confusing thing that happens to this day in the world of diabetes health, you're like, oh, let me take less and less insulin. That doesn't always tell the full story. What I was actually doing was making myself more insulin resistant. I was literally eating myself into glucose intolerance. And so I was feeling terrible. Like I was running out of energy. I couldn't play pickup basketball with my friends at school. And I was kind of lost. So I went back to my naturopath that I'd seen previously. And she suggested, you know what, maybe you should do some chelation therapy. I said, okay, you know, maybe I'll do that. I'll drive from Gainesville and, and go to Tampa and, and I'll do this chelation therapy. Uh, I was willing to try anything. But before I committed to that, I heard a podcast. And it's funny to say that while I'm recording a podcast, but this podcast changed my life. There was this guy, Doug Graham, talking about how people can eat lots of fruits and, and greens and, and vegetables, and that that can help cleanse heavy metals, that you can sort of do that internally. Your body's capable of doing its own cleansing. I was like, wow, you know what? That sounds a lot more exciting than going and do this chelation therapy to try and cleanse myself of heavy metals. So I'm like, you know what? I'll give this a shot. Let me try eating this uh, fruit-based diet. And at that point, this is September 2006 still. And his book, called it was called The 80-10-10 Diet. This book had not come out yet. So I was kind of trying to figure it out on my own in between then. And I learned from this guy, Frederick Patnode and Victoria Botanko and all these people. And finally, the book comes out. I read it in December of 2006. And my co-founder at Mastering Diabetes, Cyrus Kambada, he is one of the testimonials in the back of that book. And so I read his story and I'm like, wow, like look at what happened to him because he's also living with type 1 diabetes. So his story about how following, you know, Dr. Graham's advice impacted his life was like, oh, this is inspiring. I like this. This is encouraging. I'm going to keep going. So I set up a private coaching with Dr. Graham. I emailed him every single day for 90 days straight. He emailed me back every single day for 90 days straight. And I learned a lot. And I learned how to do this low-fat plant-based whole food diet. And it changed my life. It was just radically transforming. And I'm not encouraging people to do this, but <laughs> I, in the first week, I ate nothing but bananas. This is a funny story at this point. But I ate nothing but bananas for the first week. And my insulin sensitivity just went through the roof. Like the amount of insulin I needed to metabolize the amount of carbohydrate foods I was eating was just mind boggling. And it's continued. And it has now, it's 13 years later, and I still have the same experience every day, every meal, which just ignites the passion that we have here for teaching people how to reverse insulin resistance. So as a type one, as a person living with type one diabetes, I eat well over 700 grams of carbohydrate. I inject roughly 30 units of total insulin per day. And if anybody here listens to this and they have type 1 diabetes, at the first glance, they, they do not believe that. That is, that is too ridiculous to even be believable. So most people living with type 1 diabetes, they're injecting 40, 50, 60, 70 units of insulin per day and maybe eating, maybe eating 75, 100, 125 grams of carbohydrate. Like the magnitude of difference is, is truly astonishing. So... If you're living with any form of insulin-dependent diabetes, 
your goal is to inject the same amount of insulin your pancreas would have normally secreted before it was damaged. That's your goal. And so a normal, healthy human pancreas is going to secrete somewhere between 20 and about 50 units of insulin per day. There's lots of variables, your gender, your weight, your activity, but it's going to be somewhere in that ballpark. So for me to eat 700 plus grams of total carbohydrate, inject about 30 units of insulin per day, have an A1C of 5.3%, which is technically in the non-diabetic range, and have a time in range of 90% is extraordinary. And the fun news is it's not just me anymore. And uh, it's not just Cyrus. It's the countless people who've been through our program who experience the same results because it's just science. Um, but it's, it's been fun. So I've sort of, you know, share my personal story and Cyrus shares his personal story to inspire people and, and show everybody what's possible and really begin to open up this conversation of what foods actually maximize your insulin sensitivity, which therefore, once you begin to understand that, you're like, okay, that information leads to reversing type 2 diabetes, leads to reversing prediabetes, and leads to a heck of a, a higher quality of life for people living with type 1 and type 1.5 and reduces your long-term chronic disease risk. Wow. That all makes so much sense. And even though, even for me, like I've watched all these documentaries that, you know, educate you on plant-based eating and reversing diabetes and heart disease and, and all of these things like that explanation makes everything much more clear. So good. Yes. Um, I want to dive into what you eat in a day. I know you kind of explained a few recipes in your book, but I'm sure everyone wants to know the deets on your breakfast, lunch, dinner, your snacks. Like, let's get micro here and talk about the specifics of what okay, you Okay, let's do it. Okay. So I, I'm going to share what I personally do because that's fun. And then I'm also going to share more about the, the Mastering Diabetes Method and what most people do who follow our program, what we, we really encourage. So let's do it. I told you a little bit about where I was coming from, how I got into this, you know, with Dr. Graham and, and really a fruit-based lifestyle. And I personally just, I love it. I just love fruit. And our passion here at Master Diabetes is to make sure that people follow a lifestyle that they love, is sustainable, is affordable, is accessible to them. And I, in all the years that I've been doing this, 13 plus years, I happen to be based in Florida or Santa Monica, California, or New York for a little bit. So I've always had access to really, really good produce. And so I simply, I eat, I eat fruits, I eat greens, I eat mushrooms, I eat herbs and spices, and I eat some uh, non-starchy vegetables, or uh, sorry, some starchy vegetables and a little bit of um, uh, peas. I love sugar snap peas. So those are like the categories of food that I eat. And a typical day, like, for breakfast. You know, I'll just walk you through today because I have it all on my chronometer app. I use chronometer to um, figure out how much insulin I'm supposed to inject. So we are not encouraging people to calorie count or get fixated on counting individual nutrients. That's not the game we're trying to have people play. So for type 2 and prediabetes, if you're not using insulin, we hope you never have to use nutrition logging software ever again in the long term. We teach people how to use it in the short term as an education tool. And if you're living with insulin-dependent diabetes, use a software like Chronometer to figure out how many grams of carbohydrate you're consuming so you know exactly how much insulin to inject. And you dial in those ratios, and that's how you have better blood glucose control. So this morning, 
papaya, blueberries, and lettuce. That's my breakfast. Uh, I haven't had lunch yet, but that's going to be papaya, mangoes, oranges, blueberries, and arugula. So fruits and greens, fruits and greens. Pre-dinner is uh, wild blueberries, tomatoes, onions, mangoes, papayas, and lettuce. And then dinner, I have carrots, pomegranate, mango, tomatoes, and lettuce. So super simple meals, um, fruit and greens. That's what I love to do. Um, that's what, this is fun. So in all the years that I've been doing this, Daniel, all the years, okay, very, very few people want to eat like me. <laughs> they just don't. That's not, um, they want to eat more like you because your page is just a thing of beauty. And the, the tips and the practicality, and it's just like really, really fun. And that's kind of what we're here teaching people. So uh, we have a meal plan here, two meal plans in our book. So I'm going to walk you through uh, the week three meal plan. So one of the days is breakfast is that Mexican bean breakfast skillet. And then for lunch is a Colombian black bean stew. And dinner is a lentil doll over cauliflower rice. So those green light ingredients. We are simply encouraging people to eat the ones that they love in various recipes that they love in any quantity, any time of day. If you want to have potatoes and asparagus for breakfast, like do that. You know, you don't, you don't have, like you can mix any meal, any time of day, um, whatever's good for you. And by preparing meals in bulk, and we're also really kind of passionate about packaged foods. Uh, I, as a company and me personally, just super passionate about convenience. Like people are not struggling with obesity or heart disease or insulin resistance because they're eating canned beans. Okay. Those conditions happen because people are eating cheeseburgers and, uh, you know, pizza and potato chips. So there's this, this fear around like, oh, I can't have something that comes out of a can or I shouldn't have packaged foods. It's like, no, 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 no. All packaged food is not created equal. Um, just because it's coming from a package does not mean it's not a whole food or super healthy. So um, we have a whole list on our website of the packaged foods we recommend and what companies you can get. I mean, you can go and get um, a frozen bag that has, you know, farro and, and asparagus and some squash and then some carrots and some peas, like all in a bag. And you just heat it. You can use the microwave if you have to. Like, we're really all about convenience and just taking those green light foods and eating them um, in abundant quantities in whichever combinations you enjoy. Got it. Super simple. And I'm all about convenience, too. I always tell everyone, if you need to get lettuce cut up and washed in a bag and that'll make you eat healthy, do it. I know, like, I always tell my story when I first went plant-based when I was in college and I did whatever I had to do. I microwaved potatoes in my dorm. I would microwave quinoa packets, brown rice packets. Mm -hmm. I had like, like I bought all the cheap fruit, like oranges, banana and apples. And I kept it in a bowl in my room because it didn't need to be refrigerated. Like you can make it work to your lifestyle. You know, you don't have to be spending a ton of money or preparing things for hours to be a healthy plant-based eater. That's exactly right. It's such an important message. Um, and there, we li- this is the ultimate time, 2021, there's no better time to be following a healthy, clean plant-based diet than right now with all the convenient options that are available. For sure. And I actually just did a video on this on my TikTok and, um, the subject was, do you have to be rich to be vegan? Because I think a lot of people have this misconception, you know, they might see influencers 
posting that they're at Whole Foods doing a $300 haul. Like you don't have to shop like that to be plant-based. Absolutely not. Use the places like Sam's Club or BJ's or whatever you have available. Like the, even um, like Trader Joe's and just buying things in bulk and beans and rice. I mean, some of these, some of these core ingredients are just so inexpensive. For sure. So you have a book, Mastering Diabetes, which is a New York Times bestseller. You also have your coaching program, you know, for people who need a little bit of extra handholding, a little extra help. Um, where can they find both of those before we do like a little wrap up activity? Okay, let's do it. So the best place to go is masteringdiabetes.org. And you can click book at the top and they'll send you to a page which links to all the places you can get it. Most people just buy it on Amazon. If you're international, you can get it on Book Depository and they will ship it to you for free. I have no idea how that company stays in business. They sell the book for a very good price and they ship it worldwide for free. So you can do that. We read our own audiobook, which was really, really fun. We actually added extra material at the front of each chapter and a couple of new studies that came out. We threw in the audiobook that couldn't go in the printed version. So that was fun. Um, if you have never opened up an Audible account before, you can get the book for free. Your first book is free. You get one credit. And I highly encourage you to use Audible. It's a great resource. It's a fun thing to do while you're walking. And we also encourage people to walk a lot. So that's the book. Um, it's also available in digital format. So Kindle and, and Nook and all those platforms. Uh, for coaching, you could just uh, go to the website, read about all our various programs. It's something we're really passionate about. I, you know sort of worked alongside my really good friend, Brian Wendell, and, and building Forks Over Knives for six years. And we had a lot of fun there just doing amazing stuff. But one of the biggest reasons I left was to start Mastering Diabetes and give people the detailed, nuanced, one-on-one -on -one group coaching that's needed to make lifestyle change. And that's the core of what we do at Mastering Diabetes. We have coaching programs to help you with your specific struggles, the specific medications you're using, you know, the, the transition question that you asked earlier, which was really good, like how do you avoid those spikes that you don't want to have? Everybody's a little bit different. And obviously we give you the roadmap in the book, but your personal needs are addressed through coaching and you can find that on our website. And, you know, I was personally looking at masteringdiabetes.org and, you know, just see, even just some of the testimonials are really amazing. And I'm sure now at this point, you've put thousands of people through this coaching program. And I mean, what are the kinds of benefits that you see? So the benefits are wide ranging and it's fun. And it's really because again, if you, you remember anything from this podcast, it's this idea of using lifestyle medicine, using your daily habits to reverse insulin resistance, to maximize your sensitivity because insulin resistance, yes, it's, it's the cause of type two diabetes and prediabetes, but it's at the core of a laundry list of chronic conditions, so heart disease. That's why you see the testimonial from Don on our page. He was told he needed five stents. He didn't have a bypass surgery and end stents. And like this, he follows our program. He avoided that. He didn't need that anymore. Um, chronic kidney disease. So we had a woman come to us with stage three kidney disease. She follows the mastering diabetes method. She reversed her kidney disease. She doesn't need to go see the kidney doctor anymore. Um, we have this, I'm thinking of Raj right now. Raj came to us with type 2 diabetes and fatty liver disease. He reverses fatty liver disease by following this program. Um, Mark Ramirez is one of our great testimonials and one of our coaches. Um, he struggled with type 2 diabetes, many conditions, including erectile dysfunction. That disappeared 
on his plant-based diet. Um, Adam Sud, another one of our coaches, he had um, he was 350 pounds, type two diabetes, a lot of addiction issues, and he was able to turn his life around. Um, people with retinopathy, neuropathy, that gets uh, resolved in many cases. Many cases following the mastering diabetes method. Um, weight loss, weight loss is a big one. People again get to eat large quantities. They get to eat more food and weigh less when you're following a low-fat plant-based sofa diet because of the calorie density and the water content and the fiber, and it's the bulk that keeps you satisfied. So satiety is based on water plus fiber. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on about the testimonials. I mean, when it comes to type 1 diabetes, you know, lowering your A1C, that, that's kind of like the easy one for us. It's funny. Like, that's what people come to us for. Like, yeah, yeah, that's easy. Let me also show you how all these other things that you probably didn't know you could resolve are also going to resolve on our program. So it's a lot of fun. Right. No, that's, that's incredible. And, um, I mean, even just for me, like I don't have diabetes, but starting in college, I, you know, learned about all the benefits of a plant-based diet and just, you know, all the things that you're mentioning, it's about prevention and, you know, eating healthy while you're young so that you can prevent these, you know, diseases caused by lifestyle. So thank you so much for explaining all that, educating us. This was so informative. We're just going to do a quick, um, little activity that I do with everyone, starting with some rapid fire questions. First one being, what would your last meal on earth be? Mangoes. Easy. Love it. One thing you can't live without in your morning routine. Walking outside. Me too. Um, what is something quirky about you? People would be surprised to find out. Oh man. Something quirky about me. Um, I listen to like pop music, <laughs> any music that has positive lyrics. I don't care if it's like Taylor Swift or Selena Gomez or whatever. Like if it's got positive lyrics, I like it. And if you had to pick one form of exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be? Walking. What is your favorite grocery store? The Los Angeles wholesale produce market right now. And okay, this is just quick rapid fire foodie edition, starting with mangoes or bananas, mangoes, black beans or chickpeas, chickpeas, lentil soup or a black bean burger, black bean burger, spinach or kale, spinach, overnight oats or warm oatmeal, warm oatmeal, smoothies or juices, smoothies, rice or quinoa, quinoa. Lemon or lime? Lemon. Hummus or guacamole? Hummus. Pesto or marinara sauce? Marinara sauce. And that's it. You did it. Rapid fire. Would you rather <laughs> foodie edition? That's like my favorite part. <laughs> that's so podcast. much fun. I love it. So much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was awesome. And I can't wait for you to officially move to Miami so that I can have you over for dinner. I'm so excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Ah!